0: Welcome to State Lobbying Heroes Podcast, a podcast where we delve into the careers and personal life stories of some of the best and the brightest state government relations experts. I'm your host, Deepak, CEO of LegisTracker. Mr. Roger Tellinghison was born in eastern South Dakota. He is the oldest of four kids with three younger sisters. Mr. Roger moved to milwaukee wisconsin when he was 10 years old because of his dad's job as an insurance salesman all his schooling and the first two years of undergraduation was in wisconsin when his parents moved back to spearfish south dakota mr roger fell in love with the city and transferred to black hill state university to complete his undergraduation in business administration when he was in the eighth grade he distinctly remembers watching his favorite tv show judd for the defense And deciding that he was going to be a lawyer, his inner desire naturally led him to apply for law school in University of South Dakota. After graduating from law, what sparked Mr. Rogers' interest to become the Attorney General of South Dakota and what were his cherished accomplishments during his tenure? What would he do if he was the Governor of South Dakota for a day? Let's learn about Mr. Rogers' illustrious career in this next episode. Hey Roger, it's such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. Let's go into a set of rapid fire set of questions for you. If you were to be the governor for one day, what would you be doing?
1: Oh my, if I were governor for one day, that's a tough one because there's so many, you know, that there's a pretty wide scope of of, uh, issues that confront any state. But in South Dakota, I suppose the Probably one of the pressing issues in my opinion would be the covid pandemic and how to deal with it in a in a straightforward
0: conscientious way to protect people and protect kids good answer what would you be if you weren't a lobbyist
1: if i wasn't a lobbyist well i'm a i'm a private practice attorney i mean i'm in private practice i've been doing Attorney work for a little over 43 years. I, would, I spent, I continued to be a lawyer like I am now. My lobbying uh, practice is really just kind of a short term during the year. Actively, actively involved as a lobbyist during our legislative session, which only runs about two months, from the middle of January to the middle of March. And then there's obviously some work that goes on outside of the formal legislative session as you deal with lobby clients. But by and large, I'm certain I would be doing just what I do now and what I'm working on today, and that is my private practice.
0: Okay. What are the three skills you think are essential for someone to be a good lobbyist?
1: One, the ability to communicate. That's critical. The ability to express yourself more often than not orally than in writing, because Your opportunity to be effective as a lobbyist is probably much greater if you can communicate well orally with people. Secondly, it doesn't hurt to be relatively bright. You have to be able to think fairly quickly on your feet because as you communicate with, for instance, legislators, they may throw something at you that you hadn't really thought about and you need to be able to respond to it relatively quick fashion. Third, and I think this is maybe overarches over all of it. I think a real important feature for a lobbyist back is to be trustworthy. Because we as lobbyists, not unlike we as lawyers, our reputation is everything. And the moment some uh, the moment a legislator begins to question your authenticity, your truthfulness that's a slippery slope. And once they've deemed that you aren't trustworthy, it's very,
0: very difficult to get that back. What inspires or motivates you to be doing what you're doing?
1: Well, as you know, having looked at my background, I was
0: involved in politics in an
1: earlier part of my career. And uh, I I enjoy being around the, the legislative process. I particularly enjoy it because it's a relatively short Period of time out of my year, so it's not something I have to do all year long. I can get back to my other job, so to speak, as just being a, a lawyer in private practice. For me personally, in South Dakota, because I've done this so long, I've developed a lot of relationships and friendships with legislators and and uh, you know the professional employees and state government. And so, going back to the state capitol during our legislative session and being there for the entirety of the session really gives me an opportunity to renew and continue those friendships and relationships. And, and I will tell you, and I've said this many, many times, that in my opinion, being in Pierce, South Dakota, which is where our state capital is, during the months of January, February, and March, in my opinion, is the most exciting place to be in South Dakota that time of year. The winter goes by much more quickly because you're so busy. And so for those reasons, I, I really enjoy it.
0: Do you have any role models? In your life,
1: I wouldn't say you know, I have people that I, I sincerely admire. That you know, for instance, I have a person that was a dear friend of mine who was my predecessor as Attorney General for South Dakota, Mark Meyer Henry. You know, I sincerely admired him and his his uh, intelligence and his forthrightness. And and um, Bill Janklow, former Governor Bill Janklow, is another person that I I, str- I really admired. But they're both personal friends of mine, too, so that makes it a little easier to admire them, I guess. From a, from a lobbyist perspective, there's been a couple of lobbyists that have gone before me that were somewhat legendary in terms of their lobbying expertise. And I would say that Jeremiah Murphy and Bill Doherty were two icons when it comes to lobbyists in South Dakota that I think I would try to emulate myself after
0: what was the most momentous thing in your career?
1: Oh, my. (laughs) I've been blessed with a lot of big moments in my career, but I I would probably have to say that um, my opportunity to argue a case personally in front of the United States Supreme Court back in 1987 was was one of the big highlights for me. For a lawyer, that's the Super Bowl. And I've had the good fortune of having been there twice. Once First time, I didn't actually argue the case. I helped write the brief because I was a newly newly appointed state's attorney in western South Dakota. I went to the oral argument. It's when I was sworn in personally to the United States Supreme Court bar by Chief Justice Warren Burger. And then a few years later, I actually argued a case in front of the United States Supreme Court, which was,
0: I have to say, probably the pinnacle of my career thus far. Wow, that's amazing. With that, let's jump a little bit into your childhood. Can you tell us can you tell us where did you grow up? How was your childhood and your early years of school?
1: Sure. I my family originates here in South Dakota. I was born in South Dakota. I'm the oldest of four kids. I'm the only boy in our four kids. So I have three younger sisters. We lived in eastern South Dakota until my father was transferred to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was an insurance salesman that took us to Wisconsin. So we moved there when I was 10, and we lived there for 10 years. So I graduated from high school in New Berlin, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Milwaukee. And uh, my first two years of undergraduate college was at the University of Wisconsin in La Crosse. And then my father had an opportunity to move back to South Dakota with his company, which he took and moved to the western end of the state, Spearfish. I came out to help my parents move out there that summer and fell in love with the area and transferred then and finished my last two years of undergraduate study at the at Black Hill State College at that time, now Black Hill State University. Right after graduating from uh, undergraduate, I went to law school at the University of South Dakota. And so that's kind of my educational background i'm married Uh, i've been divorced and remarried and i have of my own my i have two children a son and a daughter who are both married and have kids of their own so my wife and i have six grandchildren five granddaughters and one grandson the youngest of the whole bunch my my wife has two sons so i have two stepsons. Beyond that, my career has followed. I was went into private practice, then went into the state's attorney's office in Deadwood, South Dakota, and I was there as the state's attorney at the time. I was elected as attorney general for South Dakota in a statewide election. So then I moved to Pierre, and was there for one term. I did not seek re-election. I opted to come back to private practice after four years of being the attorney general, and uh, been in private practice since. I I went back to Spearfish. But then I closed down my practice in 2011 and joined the firm that I'm with now here in Rapid City. We have seven lawyers in our firm, and we're all partners. And
0: I'm one of the main partners. So okay. So if we had to go back into your childhood, were you interested in politics or like uh, any any debates or anything like that back then? You
1: know, not not
0: not particularly. I mean, I was. I was class
1: president in my high school as a junior and senior. When I came out to Black Hills State in 1973, I became the uh, vice president of the Student Senate. But really, beyond that, I, I didn't have any real political aspirations, per se. I I went from private practice into the state's attorney's office, primarily because I wanted to have an opportunity for more trial work, and I enjoyed criminal prosecution. So while I was there as a deputy for a year, then circumstances were such that I ended up being appointed as the first full-time state attorney for Lawrence County. And um, I was there for two years, then I ran unopposed in, in the, ne- the next state's attorney's election. And I was midway through that, that four-year term when I ran for attorney general and was elected. So it's just really kind of been Uh, More a matter of opportunity than design, I guess.
0: Interesting. And I see that you got a degree undergrad in business administration, right, at Black Hill State University. So what sparked that interest? I mean, why did you go for that course? Well,
1: I think, you know, a business administration degree, particularly back in the day that I was going through college, was kind of a universal degree for someone who wanted to go out after they graduated and get involved in business of some sort. I mean, I had an opportunity to go to work for a bank, but I'd already made the decision that I was going to try to go to law school if I could could do that. And um, it just seemed to be a good background, particularly if I was going to be a lawyer, to have a business degree. You know, as a background, I had a political science minor. Not really sure why I had that. I, I think my business degree has served me well in the, in the type of legal practice that I have now. How so? Well, because right now I don't, do any, I don't do much trial work anymore. I do more business transactional work. And some of the, the, the trial work that I do do is more business related than it is, for instance, personal injury or tort related. So I think having that background and at this point in my career, because I've done this for so long, it's hard to distinguish what experience I can attribute to my education and what experience I can attribute to my work experience.
0: Yeah, okay. And and so you, from the beginning, you had the intention of becoming a lawyer. Is that right? That's really true. I tell
1: people that um, I was in the eighth grade and I, I distinctly remember Coming out in my parents' bedroom, watching their TV in their bedroom where I was watching Judd for the Defense. Now this is way be way past way back in my background. I mean, I was in the eighth grade and I came out to my parents and announced to them in their family room that I think I want to be a lawyer. And I never <laughs> lost that I never lost that desire from the time I was in the eighth grade until I ultimately had an opportunity to go to law school. So
0: Oh, that's amazing! I mean, yeah. very few times I met people who knew exactly what they wanted to be. Oh, at such a young God. age, <laughs> right, right.
1: right. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll say that they're along the way, that you know, when I was in the first couple of years of my undergraduate studies, I probably, I probably wasn't as good a student as I could have been, and so the opportunity to go to law school seemed a little further away, but coming back out to South Dakota and having the opportunity to finish my schooling at Black Hill State was really a turning point for me because I got more serious about my studies and of course made the dean's list both years. And, and so it's, uh, it, it, it was a, a road that I intended to travel, but it was not a road without certain detours along the way. So,
0: Yeah. And after you finished your law degree, did you Immediately put up your own practice. No, I, I
1: I went to work. I, I joined a practice in which I had been an intern or uh, a my my the last semester of my third year in law school. I did what was called a clinical, and now I, I was actually not at the law school. I was in this. I was back out in western South Dakota, and I went to work with a firm that consisted of three lawyers, and I worked for them during that last semester. And then when I graduated, they offered me a job as an associate. So I was an associate there for a couple of years and I was made a partner. And then I left to go to the state's attorney's office, so.
0: Okay, can you tell us like, um, just as a layman, I, I need to know what does state attorney do and how do you get elected into it and what responsibilities would you have?
1: every county in South Dakota has a state's attorney. The state's attorney is considered the chief law enforcement officer and the chief legal counsel for that county. So in my case, in Deadwood, South Dakota, which was the county seat for Lawrence County, I was responsible for the office that prosecuted all of the criminal offenses. I was the main lawyer that advised the county officials, whether it's the county commissioners, treasurers, registers of deed auditors highway superintendents etc I was their chief lawyer and so you it's an elected position you, you're elected on a countywide election in my case I, I was appointed to fill the unexpired term of the man who was the state's attorney before me who left to go take a, a job in the private sector and so I was appointed the first, I was the first full-time state attorney in Lawrence County. Otherwise, most of them were part-time across the state. And so that's changed some now. There's more full-time state attorneys than there used to be. But at the time that I was appointed the full-time in Lawrence County, I think there were only two or three other counties in South Dakota out of 65 that had full-time state attorneys. And so mm-hmm. then while I was there, I knew that the then Attorney General, Mark Meyer Henry, told me uh, that he was not going to run for re-election. He'd been the Attorney General for, will have, will have been the, the Attorney General for eight years. And so with the encouragement of my deputy state's attorney, I threw my hat in the ring and ran then in a statewide election for that office as the okay. Republican nominee. So,
0: Oh, interesting. So... Would you say the first step to becoming an attorney general is that you have to become a state attorney or is that not a requirement?
1: No, that's not a requirement. No, it's not. It doesn't hurt, but it's not a requirement. And in fact, there's been a number of instances where attorneys were elected to the office of attorney general who did not serve as state's attorneys prior to. In fact, my predecessor, Mark Meyer Henry, he was not a state's attorney before he was elected. His predecessor, William Janklow, was the attorney general before Mark Meyer. He was not a state's attorney before he became attorney general. The person that followed me, Mark Barnett, he was a state's attorney before he was elected to follow me. So, and then the person that followed him, Larry Long, was also a state's attorney.
0: Okay. So it is it's a mixed bag. Okay, and. Is the responsibilities of an attorney general the same as a state attorney, but just across the state?
1: Pretty much, yeah. I mean, as the attorney general, you are the chief law enforcement officer for the state of South Dakota, and you are the chief legal counsel for the state of South Dakota. In that capacity, of course, you have a lot of deputies and assistant attorneys general. So I think I, at the time back when I was elected and took office in 1987, I think I ended up with 23 lawyers just right in the office. And then there was a number of lawyers scattered throughout state government that worked for individual departments who also held appointments as assistant, special assistant attorney generals.
0: And can you tell me just as an example, like um, an example of a case you probably would have come across or something challenging as an attorney general?
1: Well, yeah, As the attorney general, of course, I only tried a couple of cases myself when I was actually the attorney general because I had a whole division of litigators for prosecuting criminal cases. I had another whole division that was assigned specifically to handle appeals in front of the South Dakota Supreme Court. So unlike when I was a state attorney where I was much more actively involved in trying criminal cases, I only tried two cases when I was in the attorney general's office. One, I prosecuted a chief of police in a small town in western South Dakota uh, who assaulted a Native American, took him out in the country and beat him up. And so I personally tried that case. And then I, I assisted a state's attorney in another, in a murder case in the eastern part of South Dakota where they wanted to seek the death penalty, but the state's attorney didn't believe in the death penalty. So he asked me come in and do the death penalty phase of that case. So that's when I was attorney general. Now, when I was a state attorney, I I prosecuted a number of murder cases, some which were death penalty cases, some which were not. So those were big cases. So
0: Okay. So if you had to like combine all of that experiences you have had as a state attorney, and then an attorney general, can you tell us like if, Anything which you've learned out of that experience, which probably is helping you currently in your lobbying career?
1: I don't know if there's so much that I can point to that I learned, but certainly the exposure as both a state's attorney in a county that had a lot of high profile cases at the time. And then certainly as attorney general, where you're in the public's eye a lot, that exposure um, has certainly been beneficial to me in my career as a lobbyist. Because um, South Dakota is a small state when it comes to population. So my name recognition, particularly given the uniqueness of my last name, has helped me in some sense. I think it's opened doors for me because of my prior political career. But once you get through the door, then you've got to stay inside the room on your own merits. So it's, it doesn't always translate. That. Just because you've been attorney general, you get a free pass on anything. So.
0: Okay. So you said at one point that after you served us for your first term as an attorney general, you decided to move into private practice. Can you tell us like what made you switch gears at that point?
1: Well, yeah, it's it's simple. When I was elected attorney general, Jack, I was 33 years old. I was the youngest attorney general in the United States at the time. Wow. And I had a very young family. My son, who's the oldest of my two kids, was three my daughter was born five days before the election. And so when my wife at that time, we moved to pier, we had a very young family. And I just, I just realized, I guess, over the course of the first two and a half, three years of that four year term, I was missing out on a lot of stuff, gone a lot. And, and so it just, I just decided that I want. I really like being a lawyer, and so it wasn't. I didn't enjoy the politics side of being attorney general as much as I enjoyed the lawyer side of it. And so I opted to not run again and go back to private practice. And honestly. It's a, you know, it's a decision people have asked me over and over whether I regretted that decision. I say, absolutely not. You know, I got to coach Little League baseball, got to coach Little League basketball for my daughter, got to go to their different events and stuff like that. And so I I don't regret that at all. Uh, It was, it was the right
0: decision. Um, So you were in private practice from that point forward. And at what point during this private practice did you feel that you wanted to get back or do some government relations as well?
1: You know, that's a good question. I went back to private practice in 1991, and uh, I didn't go into lobbying right away after I started back in private practice. But Within the first few years of being back in private practice, I was hired by an organization out in Western South Dakota, a, a farmers ranchers organization that had some challenges with respect to real property taxes. And so they hired me to help them to go to the legislature and try and bring about some legislation to change that tax system. So that's kind of how I got started. And then one of my law partners, after I came back from the attorney general's office, I went back to work with the law firm that I had originally started with. But by that time, there was only one of the three lawyers still remaining. So we went back into partnership together. And at that time, he had been representing a client, but kind of doing it as a lobbyist, but doing it from remotely almost. I mean, he didn't go to peer. He wasn't there in peer all week long as I am now for this client. So he said, you know, why don't you just take this client and you run with it? So I did. Well, then an opportunity came open to apply for, as a lobbyist for the South Dakota Trial Lawyers Association. And I applied and I was selected. And so for 18 years then I, the Trial Lawyers Association was one of my principal clients. And over the course, and because that required me to be in peer every day, during the legislative session, I just started picking up more clients. And so now I've kind of developed a little bit of a a gathering of of clients that I have year in and year out. And then every year, there's some kind of ad hoc clients that I pick up that I represent for just that year, because they have a particular
0: matter that they're interested in. So Okay. And so as a lobbyist now, can you tell us like, you know, what kind of challenging policies you've advocated for well i think one of the,
1: the most challenging has been on behalf of one of my clients that i've represented now for about th- 3 years successively and that's the human rights campaign out of washington dc and we've dealt with a lot of transgender issues the lgbtq issues and in a very conservative state like south dakota and with a legislature that by some accounts, is becoming more conservative all of the time, that's been a real challenge. It's one that I fully expect we're going to have to deal with again this coming legislative session. Now, whether I'll get hired by the human rights campaign again, I don't know. I mean, it's just from year to year, so we'll see. But that has been a tough issue to deal with.
0: And how much does personal politics play? when you're doing your job as a lobbyist?
1: You mean in terms of my own personal beliefs? Yes. Well, I think it plays a big role in terms of who you will agree to represent as a lobbyist. You know, I think you have to be, for me personally, I have to believe in the cause of the potential client that wants me to represent them. If I don't believe in what they are trying to achieve, I can't represent them because as a lobbyist, you, right or wrong, you really have to be passionate and believe in what it is your clients are
0: asking you to advocate. And how do you distinguish that? I mean, how would you know whether this is something you would like to advocate or not?
1: No, that it, it really just comes down to a matter of your own personal belief system, I think. In some some respects, you you step back and you say, okay, if I take on this particular issue, how am I going to feel about myself? How am I, you know, am I going to feel comfortable standing up in front of my friends and arguing with them about the righteousness of the position that I've taken? Mm-hmm. If I can't do that then maybe I don't have any business taking on that particular issue.
0: And how would you define in your own terms the current South Dakota legislative process?
1: Well, it's an interesting process. <laughs> the old saying is it's like, it's like sausage. You know, If you like to eat sausage, you don't want to watch it being made. So to the, to the outside observer, I think that it's, it, the legislative process is both confusing and frustrating. But from, from my perspective, being on the inside and knowing how the process ultimately works itself out, I, I think it's a process that works very well. But that's not to say that there are not frustrating moments during that process. There certainly are. And you, know, you just have to always take stock in knowing that at the end of the day, very little of what happens during the legislative process is going to mean life or death to anybody. And so it, you kind of have to keep it in perspective. Sometimes that's hard to do when you're in the trenches. But ultimately, that's,
0: I think, what keeps lobbyists sane. That's, that's a very good piece of advice. So if anyone else who's listening to this and, and if they are interested to get into government relations with all the tremendous honors you've received and the experience you've had, can you tell them like what should they be doing and what should they be not doing or what should be the first step into getting into government relations?
1: Well, I think, first of all, they want to be a lobbyist. Having a client is paramount. I mean, but if they have a, let's say they have some, a company or an organization, oftentimes, more often, I guess it's an organization than maybe a specific company that would want to hire a lobbyist. They have to be satisfied in their own mind that the organization's goals are similar to their own goals. And then secondly, if they've never done this before they really, I believe, need to spend some time watching the process. Don't come in to the process like a bull in a china shop. Come in with a respectful attitude that recognizing there's a lot of people walking around that have been doing this for a long time that for the most part are willing to share with you their advice, are willing to kind of show you where to go to find the information, and impart to you some of their the principles that they believe have helped them be successful. You never lie to a legislator. you are always candid with a legislator and if you If your position that you're advocating has a weakness, and they the legislator lays it in front of you, be willing to admit it. I mean, you establish credibility that way, and that's what it's all about. I believe to become an effective lobbyist, is establishing credibility with the people who you are trying to persuade to cast a vote a particular way. And keep in mind, we lobbyists don't ever have a vote. We we have to be mindful of that.
0: And that, we get into the last segment where you get a couple of minutes to speak anything about yourself, the future, or running for office, or if you have anything else In mind about yourself or your organization, everything goes here.
1: Sure, thanks. I'll address the running for office first. Absolutely not. I've I've done that tour of duty and I'm not doing it again. I'm 68 years old. I'm actually looking to retire from my private practice here probably the end of next year. My wife is a judge and so she will retire the end of next year and at that point we're going to spend a lot more time fishing and doing that kind of stuff. But I do intend for at least a few years after I retire from private practice to continue my lobbying effort because I I really do enjoy it. As I said at the outset, there's a number of people with whom I've developed very long-standing friendships with. And it's the only time I see them is during the legislative session, both other lobbyists and legislators. And also, I think it satisfies a desire on my part to have a, a small hand in helping shape some of the policies that this state follows and and being able to look back and say, you know, I I helped with that law that got implemented, or I kept that law from getting implemented, one of the two. But it it gives you a sense of of, uh, accomplishment, I guess, to be able to say that you've been involved in the process, even in a very small way, that makes South Dakota what South
0: Dakota is. Well, Roger, I just wanted to say that just spending this past 30 minutes, I've learned a lot from you. You truly deserve all the honors you have received. I truly wish you good luck in your endeavors. Thanks again for being on the show.
1: Thanks, Zach. I appreciate it.
0: My honor and privilege to have Mr. Roger Tellinghuisen on this episode. Thanks so much for listening to the show.